Broadway Christian Church, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, so that no one can boast. Lord, we ask that as we hear these words from the Gospel of Matthew today, uh, these stories that we would remember and receive the grace that you have for us today, and that as we receive that, we, that we would respond with great faith, great belief and trust and hope in Jesus, the one you've sent. Amen. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. We are going to look at the entire chapter today. Um, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, there are, are three different stories. It begins with a story about Jesus and his interaction between some Jewish leaders. And it, it does not end very well for them. There's a story about a Canaanite, Jesus and his interaction with a Canaanite woman. That story ends quite well for her. And there's a story about Jesus feeding another crowd, this time of 4,000 people, that ended very well for them also. In these three stories, Matthew is revealing a, a new aspect of Jesus' ministry to us. He's reminding us that Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, has come to be the Savior of the nations. And throughout the Old Testament, there are these hints, these promises of God to his people, that God's choosing Israel was not for Israel alone, but for the sake of blessing the nations. In Genesis chapter 12, when God chose Abraham, he says to them, all the nations will be blessed through you. And in the book of Galatians, Paul says that that, that message, that all of the nations will be blessed through you, was the gospel told to Abraham in advance. And then in Isaiah, uh, there's this passage in Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah was an incredible poet, an incredible prophet, and he, he speaks these beautiful words about um, the Messiah and the way that the Messiah will call the nations to himself. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, says, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation will not take up sword against nation nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. There is this promise and hope that the people of Israel had that when the Messiah came, he would make a way for people from every nation to come and to be made right with God. And that is really the main question that I want us to consider today as we look at this passage. How can anyone be made right with God? Today we are, this sermon feels a little bit different for me. This uh, chapter 
Whenever we are reading the Bible, we come, um, we're coming to a book that was written thousands of years ago to a culture and to a language that's very different than ours. And so there's some, some things we often need to do in our head to understand it. But in particular, this chapter, there are a lot of things in here um, that for us living in Fort Wayne in the year 2020... Uh, it's just really difficult for us to understand. And so we're going we're gonna to get into the weeds a little bit on some, some Bible geek kind of stuff. Um, so it feels, <laughs> Jeff gives an amen for sure. So we're going to look at some of the details and the background of this story so we can understand a bit more about what's happening here. But as we, as we move into some of that, and as some of you may need to be patient with that, I want you to remember that the heart of this sermon is... For us to answer today, how are people made right with God? And these three stories in Matthew tell us uh, that the way, the way that Jesus was beginning in his own ministry to open up the door, that by his grace, he was going to offer a relationship with God to anyone who would come and have faith in him. And all three of these stories have some things in it that make us, make us scratch our head. The first is this interaction that Jesus has with Jews and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, these Jewish religious leaders of the day, and they had this conversation with Jesus about washing their hands of all things. Um, all the moms in the room are with the Pharisees on this. Yeah, can you wash your hands? Jesus, what's, what's up about being against washing your hands? I don't get it. The second story is this story of this interaction between Jesus and this Canaanite woman where she comes to him and he gives her the silent treatment and then she continues to ask and to ask and to ask and then he seems to insult her by calling her a dog and then he praises her for having great faith. And then the third story in Matthew chapter 15 will seem like deja vu to you if you were here last week. It's the story of Jesus feeding another large crowd with some bread and a bit of fish. This is a really difficult chapter for us to understand as people living 2,000 years after it's written. Um, but I, I want to hopefully offer you some, uh, some background information that will help you understand this story too. And I'm going to start doing that by looking at some maps. I love maps. You guys like maps? All right, we're going to take a look at maps. The first thing, there's a lot of traveling going on in this story. Uh, the story begins around the Sea of Galilee. If you remember last week, uh, Jesus you know, walked across the water and they get to uh, the other side of the lake. And so it begins um, around the Sea of Galilee, probably around the area of Capernaum. Um, and in this first story, story we, we find that there are, is this delegation of leaders sent all the way from Jerusalem, about 80 miles away. These people have heard about Jesus and his ministry up in the area of the Sea of Galilee, and they think, we've got to go, and we need to challenge this man. And so they send this delegation of people, Pharisees and Sadducees together, walk 80 miles to go and to find this guy and to ask him some questions about why his disciples don't wash their hands the right way. Okay, so after this, we see that Jesus then goes to Tyre and Sidon, which is up towards the coast. And uh, just so you know, the further you get away from, from Jerusalem, and especially the further north that you get away from Jerusalem, uh, the, uh, the more Gentile the area becomes. 
Okay, Jerusalem was the heart of the, of the Jewish people. It's where the temple was. It's really, it was their capital. It's a place where uh, they, they went to, to gather to worship. And so the further north you get, the further and further away you get um, from mostly Jewish territory and get into Gentile territory. So it's Tyre and Sidon, way up there in Jewish uh, uh, Gentile territory. Jesus retreats from Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee up to Tyre and to, and to Sidon. And up in Tyre and Sidon, uh, this is where Jesus has this, this encounter with this Canaanite woman. We don't know what Jesus was doing up in Tyre and Sidon. This is the only story that we know of, is this one interaction that he has with this Canaanite woman um, up there on his trip, 50 or so miles away, up to Tyre and Sidon. And then, after that, Jesus heads back to the area of Galilee, and he goes to the eastern side of the lake, to the area of the Decapolis, which, was, which means 10 towns. There were 10 towns in this area, very Gentile area to the east of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he feeds over 4,000 people with a few pieces of bread and fish. So there's a lot of traveling going on in this chapter, and I just wanted to orient you to, to let you know as, you're, as we're reading this passage some of what's, what's happening there. Okay. So let's read uh, Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read, start by reading verses 1 through 20. This is Jesus' interaction between the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. It says, Some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, 80 miles away, and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when, you heard, when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain this parable to us. Are are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. What is going on here? There's a lot here, but what I want to do is focus on this idea of being clean and unclean. If you were a Jewish person during this time, the temple in Jerusalem, it was, it was understood to be the unique place of God's presence. 
and nothing that was unclean was supposed to go into the temple. And by unclean, I don't mean dirt or germs. Being unclean was a uh, uh, was something that had to do with the rituals of the Jewish people. If they touched blood or a dead body or, or certain kinds of molds or ate certain kinds of food, they would become then unclean. And the idea was is if you were unclean and that you then went into the temple, which was this holy, pure place, if you then went into the temple, then you made then the temple unclean. Your uncleanness passed to this clean place, this pure place, this holy place uh, called the temple. And so for a Jew during this time, it was important for them to be aware what state or what condition that they were in, whether they were in a clean condition or an unclean condition. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan? One of the most famous stories in the Bible, story of the Good Samaritan. There's a man half dead on the side of the road, beaten, bloodied. And the first person that comes and walks by him is a a priest or a Levite. And uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem to go where? To the temple. And he sees this bloodied, half dead man. And he knows that if he touches that bloodied, half dead man, then he will become what? He'll become unclean. And so he goes to the side of the road and he moves on. And then the the next is the priest of the Levite. He comes and he sees that half-dead, bloodied body. And he knows that if he touches it, he will become. So he goes across on the other side of the road and heads on to do his work in the temple so that he will remain clean. The concern for the Levite and the the priest in that moment is they, they just thought they were doing their job. They needed to remain clean because they had a job to do in the temple. And in doing so, uh, forgot the heart of God's law, which was to love their neighbor. And so in the Old Testament, if you read the book of Leviticus and some of the the other first five books of the the Bible, you'll, you'll read about these rules and these regulations about being unclean or clean. And over time, there there became this set of rules that was developed over hundreds of years that went above and beyond the instructions of Leviticus and the, the rest of the Torah about what made someone unclean or what made someone clean. And part of that was how you washed your hands, whether you washed your hands in the right way or not, kept you uh, clean. And if you didn't, then you would be then unclean. So, Word is getting out that there is this Jewish teacher who is not requiring his disciples to wash their hands in this specific ritualistic kind of way. And so they challenge him with this. And Jesus challenges them right back. He tells to them that being clean or unclean, in other words, being worthy of coming near to the presence of God is not about outward ritual. It's not about outward forms. Being made right with God is about the heart of the person towards God, not about outward forms and rituals. You honor me with your lips. You honor me outwardly. You go all to this trouble to wash your hands in the exact appropriate way, but your heart is far, far away from me. Your affections, your your desires, your loves are far, far away from God. 
What makes you unclean is not the outward ceremony, and what makes you unclean what makes you unclean are the thoughts and words and actions that come from a heart that is far away from God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God so that no one can boast. The next two stories in Matthew 15 are told in contrast to these Jewish religious leaders who thought they had everything right on the outside. It's about Jesus extending his his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness to people that belong to the nations, people outside of Israel. The first is a story about the faith of a Canaanite woman. And the second is a story about Jesus extending grace to a group of people who are outside of the people of Israel. Let's read the story of the faith of the Canaanite woman. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered, oh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. As I said before, we're reading a book that was uh, originally written 2,000 years ago in a language into a culture that you and I are only vaguely familiar with. And and I just want to illustrate a little bit about um, how different our cultures might be. Imagine... Well, let me just read this. Pretend that this was a text message that I sent to to a friend of mine. Hey, bro, it's the biggest day of the year. Come on over to my man cave tonight and watch the 49ers and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl with me. I made some guac and some wings. Bring Dr. Pepper and some Mountain Dew when you come. Go KC. Now, imagine it's the year 4,020. And some archaeologist somehow finds my cell phone and they uncover this text. And think, we're going to learn about this culture from 2020. The biggest day of the year, this must be some huge religious event, right? (laughs) And what's this man cave? He's going to make some wings? And who is Dr. Pepper? (laughs) 
and he lives in Fort Wayne. There's mountains nowhere. Why is he talking about bringing Mountain Dew? Okay, you get my point, okay? Whether you care about football or not, you would understand what this text said, right? Because you know this culture. You know the slang. You understand what's going on. Okay, in the year 4020, that may or may not be true. I want to just say that to illustrate that there are some ideas and conversations in the Bible that are really confusing to us, and this is one of them. And there's some things going on in this conversation between Jesus and this woman that I'm not sure if we can fully understand. We can understand everything that we need to know about the story, but there are things underneath and subtleties that I'm just not sure if we fully understand everything that's happening. But there's some important things in the background that you need to hear to understand this story. Jesus is walking around this Gentile area. We don't know why he's there. And this woman comes to him and begins asking Jesus to come and heal her daughter. This woman is being incredibly bold. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She's crossing all kinds of boundaries. She's making a fool of herself right now coming to this Jewish rabbi. And Matthew tells us that she's a Canaanite. In the Bible, Canaanites, are they good guys or are they bad guys? Bad guys, okay? These are, these are the people that the Jews who have, have been fighting with for thousands of years. Right? Thousands? Yeah, thousands of years. And this woman comes and she bows down before him and she says to him, what? Jesus, son of David. This is a, a royal title that Israelites would use. And she offers this title to him. These people who have hated one another for thousands of years, but in some way, God has revealed to her who Jesus is and that she desperately needs him. But Jesus doesn't say a word to her. He gives her the silent treatment. This woman keeps on pressing, Jesus, my daughter is going to die. You are Lord, please do something. The disciples begin to get annoyed with this lady. Jesus, send this woman away. And Jesus then tells his disciples and and, and her, I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, she knows that at least now he's paying attention. At least he's talking and she thinks, she, she, she kneels down in front of him, Lord, please, please help me. Sometimes I, I play this, this little game with my kids. This past week, Abe has been talking about how strong he is. And he says, Dad, I'm so strong because I can pick up this chair. He thinks that's awesome. I can pick up this chair. I'm strong. And I go, Abe, You can't do that. You're too little. You're not strong enough to pick up that chair. Oh, yeah, Dad? Yeah, I am. And he goes and he he picks it up. See how strong I am, Dad? What am I doing there? Why am I playing that game with my son? I'm raising the bar on the challenge, right? Even though I know he can do it, I'm acting surprised in order to teach him something. That I appreciate him when he does something that he likes. That I'm amazed by him. 
I think this is a little bit of something about what Jesus is doing here with this woman. He knows this woman has great faith. She's already displayed that. She's a Canaanite woman coming to him, making a fool of herself and her community, calling him Lord, Son of David. He knows that for her sake and for the sake of his disciples, that he can then dial up the drama of this situation that this woman is coming to, because she is going to get what she wants in the end. So that's what Jesus does. It's not right to feed the children's bread to the dogs. In other words, my ministry is for Israel, not for Canaanites. And this lady's like, no, Jesus, you're wrong. It's it's okay. Crumbs are fine. The family dog gets the little bit from the table, and I'm willing to receive whatever you have for me. Whatever you have to give it, I want it. I need it. And Jesus is amazed. Amazing. Oh, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Now, Matthew has just told us the story about the smartest and the brightest and the holiest of the Jewish people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They are the insiders of the insiders. And Jesus makes it clear that they don't get what God is after. They honor God with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And then right after that story, this interaction with the best and the brightest and the holiest of Israel, Matthew tells us this story about this poor Canaanite woman, a woman whose daughter is sick, no husband in the picture it seems, at least not one who is man enough to come and help her out in any way, a woman whose people are the enemy of the Jewish people, a woman who is in a desperate situation, a woman who is certainly unclean, not only because she's a woman and because she's a Canaanite, because she has a sixth daughter that she's been tending to. And Jesus looks to her and says, seize her heart. Seize that she has a clean heart. Oh, woman, you have great faith. There are only two people in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus says, you have great faith, and both of them are Gentiles. One was the Roman centurion back in chapter 8, I believe, and then this woman here, this Canaanite woman, you have great faith. In the last chapter, Peter has just walked on water, and Jesus says, Peter, you have little faith. (laughs) And here this woman, in her persistence, in her belief, in her willingness to make a fool of herself, to get to Jesus because she knows he has everything that she desperately needs, Jesus says to her, you have great faith. And Jesus did for both the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman what they asked. They healed, he healed the centurion's son and the, Canaanites, the Canaanite woman's daughter. There's a couple of things um, quickly that I would like for us to to learn about faith from this passage as we look at the example of this woman. The first is that part of faith is believing that Jesus has the solution for your desperate situation, whatever it is. This woman believed that Jesus had the power, that she had the authority to heal her daughter, and she came to him and she asked. And so this morning, I ask you the question, where are you today? What is your desperate situation in your life? And do you believe? 
Do you have hope? Are you willing to place your trust in Jesus as the one who has all of the answers, the solutions to your desperate situation? The second thing I want to learn from this woman about faith is the way that her faith draws her into this real relationship with Jesus. She engages him in a real conversation. God gave his people the name Israel. And what does that mean? Wrestles with God. The Canaanite woman right here is being a person who wrestles with God, is doing what God's people did throughout the scripture. When they're going through a difficult situation, when they don't understand something, they turn and they face God and they talk to him about it. Remember in Genesis, Abraham heard that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham had some problems with this plan. He thought it was a bad plan, and so what did Abraham do? He went and he talked to God about it. He reasoned with God about it, and God listens in some way to Abraham. In faith and with this humble boldness, Abraham, by faith, faces God and has a conversation with him. The Psalms are filled with God's people who do the exact same thing. God, why? Why are you so far off? Why are you not listening to me? Why does it seem like my enemies always get the best of me? Why am I crying all night long and you're not answering? In this story, Jesus gives this woman an answer that she doesn't like, and she turns, and by her faith, she faces him. And she has a conversation with him. She reasons with him about her situation. She wrestles with him. She becomes like a person who wrestles with God. And Jesus says to her, O woman, you have great faith. The next story is a story about grace. Matthew 15, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, and he sat, and he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame and the blind and the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. And this is where it begins to get very deja vu-ish. His disciples answered, where can we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he gave them thanks, he broke them. He gave them to the disciples and they in turn to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. After the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was 4,000 besides women and children. And after Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. This time, Jesus goes to the east side of the Sea of Galilee, to this area of the Decapolis. Uh, We know that from the Gospel of Mark. 
that he goes to this side and he feeds 4,000 people there. And we also know that these are um, in this area, in this Gentile region, because it says that these people praise the God of Israel. If they're in Jewish territory, speaking to Jewish people, you wouldn't have to qualify which God they were praising. They prayed the God, uh, they praised the God of Israel. If you're a bunch of Gentiles who worshiped all sorts of God, you would need to be qualify which God they were worshiping. Here, Jesus is extending the same kind of grace that he extends to this Jewish crowd. He now extends the same kind of grace to this Gentile crowd. He extends his grace to Israel to the, uh, and also to the nations. Through Jesus, God's grace is being made available to all people the insiders of Israel, into the outsider Gentiles. How can we be made right with God? Matthew is telling us that the promises in the Old Testament, the Messiah of Israel is going to make a way for all of the nations to be made right with God. Matthew is saying this Jesus, he's the one. He's the one. And these stories tell us that we're not made right with God. We're not made to be insiders with God because we followed the right rules or said the right prayers or followed the right pastor or went to the right church or read the right books. The message of the Bible is that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus, the one that he sent. We believe, we have faith, we place our trust, our rest, our faith in the one whom God sent, Jesus our Lord. He is the one who makes us clean. He is the one who is able to make us right with God. So as we finish today, I want to want us to give and hear a warning to those of us who are who are insiders, and an invitation to those of you who feel like outsiders. The warning is to the insider. If you are an insider like me, that is someone who is uh, just integrated into the life of the church and the Christian community, if you're like me, you need to listen to the warning of Matthew chapter 15. You're the, you're the kind of person who, who knows the kinds of prayers and the kinds of words that get an amen from the people around you. You know how to use fancy, spiritual-sounding words that we don't use in anywhere else in our life, except when we're with other insiders. We know when, we, uh, we know when to give the, the right mm-hmm when somebody else is praying to make them think we're listening. You know the right time to raise your hands when we're singing. You know all the right words. You know the right things to do and to say and the right ways to act to make other people right with God even when your heart is far away from him. Matthew 15 is a warning to us insiders. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Is that you today? 
Do you know all of the, the right things to do to feel included in this church called Broadway? But is your heart far, far from God? Do you, have you forgotten how big and vast and generous God's grace has been to you? And because of that grace, are you responding to him with great faith? Are you placing your trust and your belief and your hope in him? Or is there something going else, else going on in your life? Some mask that you wear, some act that you're playing when you come with the rest of us insiders together. Matthew 15 is also a very, very clear invitation to the outsider. This morning, if you feel like a person who is a bit of an outsider with other Christians, please know that Jesus comes to you. You don't need to look and to act a certain way. You need to have a heart of faith in Jesus, the one whom God sent. And if you have that heart of faith in Jesus, God says that you are no longer a stranger, no longer an outsider, no longer an enemy of God. He has made you his friend. He's made you his friend. Father, we pray that we would hear the message of Matthew chapter 15, that through these stories of Jesus, that we would remember that we have been saved by grace through faith, and this is not from ourselves, not by our outward actions. It's a gift from you. And so, Lord, for, for those who are in this room who are, who are insiders, who, who know the right words to say, the right ways to act, Lord, wake us up to ways that we are, are playing church and playing Christianity. Wake us up to that and call us to something new and real. Increase our faith as we see and come to know and remember the grace you've extended to us. Lord, and I pray for, for anyone in here who feels like an outsider for any reason at all. Lord, I pray that you would meet them and that they would join together in this, this uncommon unity that we're seeking here at Broadway. A group of people who uh, are very different and that, that the boundaries, that we would not create any boundaries that you haven't put up. That we wouldn't put up any any false masks that other people aren't quite sure if that's real or not. Lord, I pray that you would, you would make us a church that has a group of people with one thing in common, and that's that we, like that woman, fall on our knees and say, Jesus, Lord, help me. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen.